0: So we are concluding our series today on the book of Colossians. So next week, we'll be starting a, a, a new series. And actually, we're going to be looking at or studying the life of Joseph. And so um, that's where we're going to start next week. And so going into the Old Testament, not the Joseph of the in the Christmas story, but the Old Testament Joseph. So we're going to be uh, looking at that starting next week. But today, we are wrapping up our study on the book of Colossians. And just as we've seen through the last several weeks, as we worked our way through uh, this new testament letter um the, the the real core of this letter is not evangelistic, uh, even though it presents this uh very clear statement on who Christ is in chapter one and and we saw that uh, you know that clear foundation and that, that that this vivid biblical description of our messiah and, and yet that is the core of our faith is the core of our uh, salvation and of the gospel message and and, and yet mo- the rest of the letter really pre- um, presupposes the fact that you have received Christ as your Savior. And, and we, we see that um, even in the intro and, and the, the thesis statement of the entire letter. It's found in Colossians 1.10, um, where it, it's, a, it's the next thought, right? Once you, you pray and receive Christ as your Savior, then what comes after that? And, and in verse 10, it says, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And, and, and as you know, our vision statement is "Join the journey." And, and we know that's how you join the journey of faith is by receiving Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, praying and and confessing your sin, inviting Him into your life, right? And do that. And that's how you are saved, and that's how you start a new journey in life, a journey of faith, of moving more and more uh, closer to Christ, as He says. Right? That's that's our goal: is to to grow and to learn about God. More and more every day, and, and as we do that, though we, we see that comes all kinds of these different challenges in areas of our life, and we're like that we even need to have our eyes open to, or or change our, our perspective, or or and and or even our heart condition to be you know manifested as the Spirit lives in our lives and transforms our hearts and minds to be more and more like God, and, and as as we live out our faith every day. And as we, we see that, again, the premise of everything we've learned through this letter is that if you don't have Christ and you don't have the Holy Spirit living in your heart and, and his, his love and his presence in your life, is that everything that's described in here will be impossible to do on your own power. And and when we see that, if you try to do it on your own power, you will just get frustrated. Right? And, and, and it'll, be, it'll make things harder for you. And yet, as we look at this and and through, we, this is a very important premise, right, of this entire letter and all that, that comes out uh, of it. It starts with receiving Christ as your Savior, right, and becoming the Lord of your life, a fully surrendering of your heart uh, so that you can, uh, again, be transformed by the Holy Spirit every day as we journey with him. And as this letter now culminates into this passage we're looking at today, um, and so uh, if you have your... Uh, your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Colossians chapter 3, because uh, we are going to wrap up the end part of 3, where we left off last week, um, and then into chapter 4 as we wrap up this letter. Um, but again, the, this uh, the letter culminates um, into some very practical, step-by-step, do daily life this kind of way advice. All right, and This is very practical advice for us here as we open up um, into the end part of chapter three. And just as I said, though, again, the, the assumption is even stronger in this passage than it was in all of the ones preceding it as it culminates here, that you cannot do this on your own power. And so as we do that, I just, that's the premise before we read the text. So we are going to read Colossians 3, 18 through 4, one. This is, again, this first section. So if you have your Bible with you, again, uh, you can open up with me. If you're here with us in person, don't have your own Bible. Your Bible is provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. Uh, If you're with us online, uh, if you have your Bible with you, you can read along. If not, just listen as I read it. But we're going to pick up here, Colossians 3, starting at verse 18, where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for for the wrong that you have done or God. Has no favorites. And masters be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, so as we read these verses, right, well, I'll just kind of stop and take a deep breath. Right? Because these words, right, this practical day-to-day advice for Christian households. In fact, if you look at again, just the, the heading above this section, right, in the letter in your Bible, likely says something like instructions for Christian households. And that's what we have. And obviously we see this this passage um, is that it it addresses um, uh, the social structure within a typical household, especially within the time period of when this letter was originally written. As you see, again, it addresses these these different parts of of life, right, And, and how religion fits into the societal structure of the day. And it addresses these different parts. It addresses husbands and wives. Right kids and parents and slaves and masters now it's easy for us again to to look at this passage and, and to to kind of get our our feathers ruffled a little bit, depending on exactly what your role is in society right and, and as we look at that though, I just want to tell you and, and just address it from the beginning right that, that that ultimately what what is being addressed here in this passage is is it is talking about how the faith structure affects the culture and social structures around us. Okay, there, there was this, this underlying tension even at this time, and it's still here today in our world in 2022, but this tension of how will this new religious movement affect our world and our culture and our society? Right, and remember, right, this is in the, new, the early New Testament church. Right, this is where Christianity is spreading by by the thousands sometimes every week, right? And and there's this 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 religious movement that's running through the culture and and the the government structures, right? The 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 society, the culture. Everybody's asking this question: Is is this Christianity religion going to be a good thing for our world? And we, like I said, this is still true today, right? When we see all kinds of different religious movements and worldviews and and faith structures, and some of them are positive for our world as a whole, and some of them are very, very damaging. And and this same question, again, was circling around in the culture about Christianity. And as it's spreading, and so uh, part of what he's addressing here is how uh, will our religious faith life, as we live out our faith day to day, it, how is it going to affect the culture around us? Because everybody was watching, just like they are today. Right? And with that said, there's, uh, I want to take a step back from, from the text, and we're going to dive into the text. We're going to look at each role and, and kind of those things. But before we do that, I, we need to understand the big picture concept that's being addressed here. Right? Again, the premise is that you are a committed, surrendered follower of Jesus. Right, and that 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 you you have a Holy Spirit living in you, and your goal, right, is is for your life is just what we saw in verse one ten. Right, that I want to be more like God every day. I'm going to live out my faith and produce good fruit. With that premise said, the big picture concept here is that how we submit to authority. there are these authority structures set up in our world. And and how are we going to um, fit into those? How are we going to submit to those? How are we going to live into those? Are we going to live into those or are we going to push back on them because of our faith? And, and, and this is the bigger picture concept that's being addressed. How are we going to submit to authority? As you see, there are three different daily life authority structures that are presented in this text. It's a hus- the husband and wife relationship the parents and children relationship, and the master and slave relationship. As we look at these, uh, in these structures within the the world culture, right, that's being addressed and within the household, um, as they are addressed, notice the the subordinate as well as the authority figure are both addressed. They're both given instructions. And and, and as it goes through this, it it always addresses um, the subordinate first. And again, in this social structure that's addressed, the, the, the subordinate figure within these authority structures is wise children and slaves. And now as we look at that, also the authority figure is then addressed right after them. And now to say, as we look at this structure, right, the, the, the roles that are addressed, this is what a typical household situation would have looked like in the ancient world at the original writing of the letter. Okay, and that this is true, whether it was in Christian households or non-Christian households or Roman households or Greek, you know, or around a wide swath of the world culture at that time, um, in the ancient world, uh, it was these authority structures. Right? Now, the interesting thing is as we look at that, again, looking at that context of it, as, as this advice is given, um, is that the authority figure that is addressed, right? The husband, the parents. And the master in all three of these situations, typically in a normal household in that time, would have been the same person. Right? It was the same person, the the male head of the house. Right? That's that's the way the household is structured. Right? And, and in fact, in most of the world today, it's still structured that way, very strongly. But, and as we see that, we just understand that, again, we, we couldn't get lost in the weeds, right, in, in these specific roles and, again, gender roles and all these kind of things. But that's not, I mean, it is part of what's being addressed, but it's not the whole picture of what's being addressed in this passage. It, it is, is, the bigger picture concept is how do we submit to authority? And it's important that we acknowledge the social construct, again, when this letter was originally written. It was a very male-dominated society. Right? And like I said, which is still true around most of our world. And so as we see the big picture concept here is how do we submit to authority? Right? Then we are also given in this text the key to living this out. Okay? And the key to living this out is that Christ is the ultimate authority. Right. That, that regardless of what role you're in, regardless of, of where you fall in any of these social constructs, right? and regardless of, of wherever you are, that, that this fact is Always true. Right? That Christ is the ultimate authority. And, and as we see this and as it's addressed, okay, that Jesus needs to always be first in all of these relationships that's addressed in this text and everything that's not addressed in the text. That, that Christ is first in core value number one. Christ is the destination of our journey. Again, this is a presupposed assumption. In fact, if you look back through the text, we've already established this well every time, right? Every sermon as we work through the whole letter of Colossians always comes back to this, right? This is the big premise of the entire letter, is that Christ is the ultimate authority. And, and like I said, as it all culminates into this day-to-day advice of, of, of how we address authority in our lives and within our social structures, um, this is more important in this text than it has been through all of the rest of the letter. And this, the preassumption is that, that Christ is the ultimate authority, and if Christ is the ultimate authority, that means you are a committed follower of Jesus. And this assumption is also given for every role that is addressed, right, in this passage. That is true for, again, the husband and the, the father and the master, right? That is, again, in their social structure it was typically the same person, but they're also assumed that that's true of the wife, right, of the children and of the slaves. Now, I, as we look at that again, just keep this in our mind. This is the the pre the presupposed assumption, right? In fact, we see that in the very last sentence, right, the the conclusion of this text in in four one, the second part of verse four one, it says, "Remember that you also have a master in heaven, right? The, no matter where you fall, right, in the in the ranks of society." This is always true. Okay, that you're all of our real master, true master, the true ultimate authority is Christ. Hey, okay, now that we, we see that, right, the foundation's been laid, now let's, let's dive into um, these different uh, social structure relationships that are addressed. The first one is wife and husband. And again, this is verses 18 and 19. And I will say, again, as as we see this, as we see these verses, we we see exactly what the verses say, right? It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now, as we look at these verses, I I will say is that this verse 18, okay, Colossians 3.18, is a verse that is used out of context all the time. Okay, so I know, I see, I can just feel like a cumulative deep breath from all of the women in the room. Right, to say that, okay, this, and I say, it is, it is used out of context all the time. And I'll say, this verse, I can very confidently say that Colossians 3.18 is not chauvinistic or authoritarian at all in its original context. It's not. Again, and I say that with, with complete confidence. Okay, and, and as we dive into that, I'm going to show you why I say that so confidently. Okay, because the, the text does not go there at all, in fact. Okay, the, the problem is, again, if it's used out of context, is is because if we only use verse 18 and it's used out of context, it only addresses the subordinate. And, and yet, that's the structure of this entire passage is it addresses both, the, the subordinate and the, the authority figure. And when, if you use verse 18 out of, or just 18, if you only address the subordinate, then it it is, it is misinterpreted, right? And so in order to keep it in correct context, okay, is that we need to read both verses together, 18 and 19. Now, this is true with all three of these uh, relationships that are addressed, okay, with wife and husband, with Children and parent and slave masters again, we're going to go into those other ones, but as know that that this is true, right We have to look at the entire um, thought right in order to, to get what it's truly teaching us. Again, we cannot read just verse 18. We have to keep going and complete the thought and include 19 because they go together. And, and so when we read 18, right again, the, if it's used wife submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. If this was chauvinistic or authoritarian, then the directive, the next thought, the next directive to the husband would be: Husbands, rule over your wife. If it was authoritarian or chauvinistic in any way, that would be the next line. But it's not, is it? What is the next line? Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Okay, now, I tell you, look at this. This is a very significant add-on to this, right? Because when it says, husbands, to love your wives and never treat them harshly, okay, um, the, guess what word is used for love? Hey, okay, Now, if you're not aware, I'll give you a, a quick Greek lesson okay, uh, on, on Greek language. Okay, in, in Greek language, okay, there are three different words that are used for love. Okay now in 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 English right is it, we use the same word i mean love is 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 love and, and and so you you love peanut butter sandwiches as much as you love your wife right Okay now the, in Greek it, there's three different ones i mean they split it out Okay the the first first love that is used in Greek it's the word eros Okay now eros love is it, it's again we would translate it as erotic love Hey, okay, that's Eros love. Hey, okay, now the, the second word that's used in Greek for love is phileo. Hey, okay, phileo is, is friendship love. Okay, again, we even translate that in English, right? Is like even Philadelphia, right? Is the city of brotherly love, right? It's, it's talking about, again, friendship love, right? It's phileo love. Okay, and then the third word that is used for love in Greek, um, is agape. Hey, okay, now agape love is holy love. It is complete love. It is the love that only comes from God. Guess which one is used here? Agape. It says, husbands, agape your wives, And never treat them first. Now, as we look at this again, and I'm standing here again as a husband, right? And to say that is that men... We don't do this well. In fact, if we look at this and we look at those different kinds of love, okay. in fact, um, again, he doesn't use the word eros. Right? Which, again, husbands tend to be pretty good at eros' love for their wives. Okay, now, again, he doesn't say phileo love. He doesn't say, you know, husbands phileo love. Faleo your wife, right now, and the the sad truth, right, is that a lot of marriages this is the only kind of love that's there because the husband and wife are just roommates that share bills, and and that that's that's part of this sad state of marriage in our culture, in our world, is because that is unfortunately true in a lot of marriages. Right? No, he he says, husband agape your wives. Now, agape encompasses all, all of it together. And the fact that it's agape love changes the entire picture of this command towards husbands. In fact, we 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 know this description of agape love. This this very famous description in scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 is the, the biblical definition, right, of agape love. The, the reason why we hear this. Uh, in weddings all of the time is because it's used over and over again to husbands and wives and this marriage relationship. Now, again, the original context of it is actually not marriage at all, right? In fact, the original context of 1 Corinthians 13 is how God loves the church and how we are all supposed to live out that agape love for the church and for each other and all that. So uh, again, on your outline, I want to look at, this is the description of 1 Corinthians 13. This description was in the the opening video, right? When you started here, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, it never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Again, okay, we got to pause and take a deep breath. And as we read that description of agape love, to say that that's how God looks at you, by the way, regardless of where you are in the social structure, right, whatever role you have that, this is the way God loves you. And this is also the way, right, that we are taught to love each other and to live out. And and here, again, husbands are specifically called out to agape their wives. The the reality is this love is impossible for us as humans to do on our own, on our own power. It is presupposed, right, that we receive this kind of love from God, and that's the only way we could ever pass it on to anybody else through our lives. Again, this 100% goes back to the premise, right? that, That we are committed, surrendered followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwelled in our hearts and our lives. Which means I'm experiencing this kind of love from God. And that enables me to pass that love onto my wife as a husband. Now, wives, this should also be true in your life, right? You are also agape loved by God. And this enables you to love your husband in that way as well. And and as we see this and we look at this description, again, if as a follower of Jesus, Christ is still my ultimate authority. Which means that I am leading my family or my marriage or anything that I go to. um, As a husband, I am modeling what it means to submit to authority and to live motivated by agape love to my wife and to my family and to all those around me. And when we see this and realize this, right, this, these verses are way more centered and directed at the husband than they are at the wife. This is a way bigger responsibility for the authority figure in the relationship, not the subordinate as it's addressed to. Again, this command is focused on husbands stepping up, right, and living your God-given responsibility not about wives stepping back. In fact, I would venture to say, right, again, I'm not a wife, right, but I would venture to say, wives, if your husband is truly living this out, you would be very willing to submit and to follow. And, and as, as we realize that, right, that again, that there's this, this love of God that permeates our marriage relationship. Here we go back to the premise of the entire passage, that Christ is the ultimate authority. Now, as we say this and we look at this, I realize, again, is that this is describing God's ideal plan and God's ideal situation. And we all know, again, whether it's in marriage or just in life, right, that we rarely end up in the ideal situation. Again, the ideal situation is that both the husband and the wife are are committed to Christ and walking with him daily. and, And the agape love is present in their relationship. And yet the reality we know, the reality in our world, right, is that, is that that's not what we typically find ourselves in. Again, if the other person in the marriage is not a believer, right, or isn't loving you with agape love, the, the truth is, if that's true in your life, right, and, and again, the reality is, right, is even, I mean, it's not true in our lives, right? Because we, we all help and we always fall short because we humans are really good at messing stuff up. Right? when God designs it and then we go and mess it up right and, and then but then God steps in with his agape love and he forgives us and transforms us to help us to do better and then we just mess it up again with our own human you know and, and we go into this but the reality is is if if the other person in marriage isn't living up to this it doesn't mean that you're off the hook right whether you're a wife or a husband or what your marriage situation is but or whatever it is right is is that you have to focus on what you you have control over and guess what you have control over is you. Right? And your own faith walk and, and the way that God loves you and how you live that out. Okay? And, and again, i this is something that I've said to my kids over and over and over again, right? Control what you can control, and that is you. You can't control how the other person reacts, you can't control what they do. Right? And so, but, the, but ultimately, it always goes back to Christ as the ultimate authority. And so again, you you do live into this. If you are as as surrendered to Christ, even if your spouse isn't, you still live this out as much as you can, and you still live within. You know, and love them, right, and, and and do what's commanded to live out our faith every day, right? And until it crosses where you, you know you're choosing them over Christ. And if it's to that point where you have to choose them over Christ, you have to choose Christ. Because Christ is the ultimate authority and, and and so as we see this, right, is is again whether you're married or you're not, there's some some really practical things to live out here. Regardless of your marriage situation, regardless of your role or your gender. You focus on what you have control over, and that's you, and your own faith journey and your own uh, you know commitment to Christ and, and to receiving a God by love and passing that on to those others in our lives. First is husbands and wives, and the next one we we look at is children and parents. Yeah, these are addressed in verses 20 and 21. It says, "Children obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord." And fathers do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Again, children are addressed first, right? And again, the goal here, as we see, is not just behavior modification for our kids, but to truly have a heart that is focused on pleasing God. Notice again, what's the motivation for the children to obey their parents? It doesn't say, "Children obey your parents so they are pleased." All right? It's, "Children obey your parents." where this pleases the Lord. Again, it, t- it speaks to the goal of our life, right? Regardless of where we are in our phase of life, even as children. The other thing is, again, the word that is used here, it is not age specific, right? Which means that even as a- an adult, you are still told to obey your parents. Now, again, we have different phases of life, right? You go into the r- relationships are different as an adult, but you can still honor your parents as an adult. Uh, and if you're a parent, you know that your heart never changes regardless of how old your kids are. Now again your role in their life changes. Right? And we want them to be independent adults, right? And again, we don't control them the way we did when they were four. Right? But again, that relationship is still incredibly important. It's about but it is still about pleasing God. Right? And then it, it addresses fathers. And again, this is addressed to the authority figure within the household. Um again, this uh, this concept certainly applies to both parents, not just the father. And again, Scripture speaks over and over again about the need for and the value of discipline, right? And especially as parents, again, we, we need to discipline our kids. Again, it's presupposed here, right, that we are disciplining our kids. But this is really more of a warning against extreme discipline used to the point of breaking your kids' spirits. You aren't supposed to be your kids' best friend, right? We need to discipline them but we also should not be resented by them or feared by them or you know or um again have be to break their spirit or there where they will be aggravated right or become discouraged again parents this is not an easy challenge right to find that balance but it is one that we are called to because agape love right, when we agape love our kids again is we we have to parent them so that they grow to be more like Christ too. we are modeling to them what it means to please the Lord. <clears throat> and the next, as we move on, the next one, right, is slaves and masters. As it addresses this, again, slaves are addressed uh, in verses 22 through 25. And then again, in 4.1 is where we it addresses the masters. And again, before we jump into this, this text, again, as we've, already looked at it. Um, If you're not married and you don't have kids in your home, guess what? You're not off the hook here in this passage. Because uh, this passage, as it addressed, slaves are addressed, this is the most extensive section. And the reason why it's the most extensive section in this text is because it is the most widely applicable part of the text. We need to make sure we don't get hung up on the term slave and master. I understand that those are loaded terms. Those are ones that come with a lot of of baggage and history and and again the, the the reality is again that that's really that's not what i believe this passage is addressing that all that goes with those and so it's kind of set those terms aside right and because the reality is that this is again talking about authority structure in regards of what we call it in our society right is that we are all working right for an authority figure and, and I believe, again, that that's the context of what's being addressed here. Okay, now, um, And the reality, when you even just look at the spiritual realms and even the teaching of the gospel message, is, is that we are told over and over again that we are all slaves to something. We either are slaves to our sinful nature or we are slaves to Christ. Okay, and, and this is addressed, um, again, in several different places about Scripture. Um, Romans 6 and 1 Corinthians 7 are two places that address it very directly and literally use the term slaves to Christ. Hey, now, if you want to dive into that, I encourage you to do that. There's a lot there. Hey, now, but, but we're going to skip over that at this moment right now today. Hey, but what is of great significance in these few verses uh, is as we look at that, all of these few verses that address the slaves and masters, there are five references in these few verses that addresses Christ as our Lord. Right, and that is very significant. In just these few verses, it addresses it five times towards the slaves and to the masters. Okay, We see it all, the advice to, to the slaves, again, culminates in verses 23 and 24, where it says that work willingly to at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. And I say this culminates because we are all slaves to something, right? Re- regardless of, where you fall the society's, you know, authority ladder, regardless of, of anything else in our lives, is we are all slaves to something. And this is advice that we all need to live out as followers of Jesus in every context of our life. Right? Whether it's your actual boss, it's your job, right? Whether it's, again, the social structure within... Our culture, right, and or whatever it is, is that we, we all need to live this out. This is wonderful advice. Can you imagine what our lives, our world, our culture would be like if, if everybody was living these out? Just think about that for a moment. Well, the reality is it would be heaven. Right? And that is God's will. right? And that's God's plan, too, by the way, because this world's not at home. Remember, we talked about that last. Right? And, and as we think about that, and again, as we all of this out, then again, this, we move on from slaves to, to masters. And again, this is something that, that we all, because we all have authority at some level in our lives as well, right? And, we, and, and the, the reality of that, right, is in Colossians 4.1, where he says, Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Be just and fair to your slaves. Again, don't lord your authority over others. Right? Be just and fair. Because remember that you also have a master in heaven. The ultimate authority is Christ, and that is always true. He's, have I been strong enough on that point? Christ is the ultimate authority. Right, we get it. Right, we know that. Again, it's so strong. And, and as we look at these things, and as we look at these verses, and then, uh, again, we, we come to the, the final practical advice of the entire letter. Okay, the the summary verses of the entire letter of of the book of Colossians is found in Colossians 4, 2 to verse 6. Okay, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Okay, where it says, it says to devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. And that is why I am here in chains. And pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should to live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity and let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. And in these, again, concluding verses, right, this wraps up all of the teaching of the entire letter. um, We are given three final instructions of ways to truly live out our faith as followers of Christ. The first one is we are to pray. Okay, we are to pray, and again, he goes into some very different specific things. Okay, in fact, he he throws out three specific things about prayer, right? Is that through prayer, we need to stay alert, the necessity of alertness in our prayers. We need to have an ongoing thankfulness in our prayers. And then there's also the role that prayer plays in the mission and the spreading of the gospel. And again, we're told to pray about all of these things in this passage. Again, and, and and we, as followers of Christ, need to be people of prayer. Okay, the second thing we are told to do is, in verse 5, we are told to live wisely. Live wisely. Again, this sums up the main goal of the letter, right? Based on everything that's been addressed, the various aspects of daily life and how they intersect with your faith. How do you, how, how does life as a citizen of heaven Right? And not removing yourself from the world, but yet interacting with your surroundings from a Christ-centered world view. God opens our eyes and our hearts to the truth. And that, um, that we need to live out that truth every day in every aspect of our life as fully surrendered followers of Jesus. Live wisely. Live with your eyes wide open right, to the truth that God's revealed of how we live out our faith every single day. And then the the third thing that's given us these final instructions in verse six is we are told to speak graciously. Again, if we do all of these things, right? If we're living out what what is described and taught in this letter, even if we're doing the first two, if we're praying constantly, if we are living wisely, then we will be set apart from the world because we will stand out in comparison. Because this is not the way the world works, is it? And this world is not our home. Right? Because if you're truly living this out, right, and, and living your faith, and, and living what's taught here, then people will have questions for you, right? because your life is going to look very different. But he says we also have to be very wise and careful on how you answer those questions. Says don't answer them harshly, don't act, answer them awkwardly, not in a way that pushes people away from God because of your answers, right? And there's lots of ways that people represent God in our world today that pushes people away from the church, pushes people away from the gospel and from scripture. Right? And we are told to speak graciously, right? So that we don't push people away by the way that we answer. And, and, as we look at at, at these these final instructions, right? To pray, to live wisely, to speak graciously. Then he goes into the last section, verses seven through 18 of, of chapter four, and he goes in and talks about all of these people, right? And and personal advice. And again, I encourage you to read it. There's some rich stuff there. If you're going to a follow-up group, you'll look at that text this week, but we don't have time to do it today. Okay, so as we look at that, uh, again, the final thought as we come to, and I feel like this verse coming out of 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, just sums up this this whole concept very well. He says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Again, as we wrap up the book of Colossians, uh, is is one, it pre-assumes that you have received Christ as your savior and you're walking with him daily, right? And that your life is producing good fruit. And if that's not true in your life, if you haven't accepted Christ, and I hope that you will do that today. If, if you have, I hope that your life is producing good fruit. And if that's not true of your life, then take a step of commitment and move forward in your faith be more like Christ so that it will. Again, I don't know where you're, where you're at in your journey, what step you need to make, what God's asking you to do, but I, I pray that you would commit to that before you leave here today. And Lord God, we are thankful, God, that you are our ultimate authority. And God, that as that authority, Lord, you love us with a godly love. God, you made a way for us to be saved and to walk with you, to be transformed by your spirit. Lord, that you made our real home heaven, and we're thankful for that, God. And Lord, when we get to that place, when our earthly faith journey ends, our heavenly journey begins, Lord, we long to hear those words well done. And God, we are challenged greatly in the book of Colossians, God, to live out our faith every day. And I pray that as we go from here today, as we wrap up this study, God, that you will help us to truly live out these words in our lives. Regardless of where we are in our faith journey, God, of the role we're in in our lives, Lord, help us to never forget that you are our ultimate authority. God, that you love us with agape love and models, Lord, help for us to love others and guide us Lord, as we go this week, as we live that out, and as we can share your gospel with those, God, that notice something different about our lives. Help us, God, to, to, to walk in faith to pray, to live wisely, God, and to always speak graciously. Lord, guide us to speak as we live as your church. Thank you, God, for changing us, for transforming us, and being with us through every step of our journey. Guide us as we go, in Jesus, name. amen.